This is Slickery Trigger for Rebel Road Tactical. With proper care and feeding, your pistol will be ready when you need it. There to save your life. Shouldn't your gear be that good? Whether you need a holster for comfortable everyday carry or a tough-as-nails holster for your next training course, Rebel Road Tactical has what you need. Check us out on the web at rebelroadtactical.com. stories that we struggle to see why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our writing to full maturity. A Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable writers to develop and grow, shaping stories into masterpieces that can stand the test of time. Editing services are provided for all genres and all age categories. Services range from critiques of the short story through to the line edits of the full-length novel and copy editing for those preparing for publication. We also offer assistance on generating a writer's bio for your website, as well as help with those book blurbs and promotional material. We won't abandon you to the masses. We want to celebrate with you and your successes. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services and prices, visit us at blackwolfeditorial.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network. Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. The world around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science. But let's face it, sometimes the science can be so confusing that it takes a PhD to understand it. Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have a PhD. Come and take a seat. Perhaps I can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand. Welcome to Conversations in Science. I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore. Call me Doc. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Conversations in Science. Yes, I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore, and as my intro said, I do have a PhD. My PhD is in astronomy, but I also have a background in engineering. So let's face it, I've spent far too long at school. For those of you who are new to the show, the way this works is we have Jessie Sanders joining us as well, and she is there just to make sure that I don't get a bit too scientific and keep everything down to where everyone can understand. Say hi, Jesse. What's up, Doc? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. She's looking forward to saying that a lot, I think. <laughs> Why not? It's right. a fun line. Mm, it is a fun line. Well, for those of you who have, haven't been buried under a rock for the last month, you will know that Star Trek enjoyed its 50th anniversary last month. Yes, folks, Star Trek first aired 50 years ago. And let's face it, Star Trek has been around for a very long time and has captured the imagination of so many people, including me. I'm a big Star Trek fan, yet not so big that I have costumes and I go to Comic-Con, but I still love all the episodes and I know very much 
what's come from Star Trek, that is actually we see today. A lot of the things that we have in our world, we have seen coming from Star Trek. Just think Wait, of our, really? our cell phones. Yeah, our cell phones. How many people have actually seen those flip phones? Did you have one of those flip phones, Jesse? Of course I did. Who didn't at one point in time? <laughs> exactly. Well, those flip phone conversations that we had, they were originally Star Trek. So if you think about the original series, you had Captain Kirk. He would flip open the communicator and go, Scotty, beat me up! Or whatever else he actually said. But those communicator ideas, that was 50 years ago. And look what we've got now. And there's so many other things from scientific technology that we have today that have originated in ideas from Star Trek. So, of course, when Star Trek came around for its 50th anniversary, I was sitting there watching everything that came out, all the various different tube videos, that, including the parodies. But I came across one in particular that was from NASA. Being the astronomer I am, I was really excited about this one. Jesse, could you do me a favor and roll it, please? All these imaginative exercises in science fiction is merely food for the imagination of scientists who are actually working with technology that is. I've interviewed a wonderful NASA scientists who are working very practically on things that verge on science fiction. Imagine sending a vehicle to take a photograph of Pluto and come around and take around and then move around and keep going. NASA is space exploration and it means a great deal to all of us. NASA is at the forefront of science and technology and the money spent out there in space is investing in our future right here on Earth. There's all that space, all that knowledge, all that challenge, and the human animal is an adventurous animal. And sure, there are risks involved, but we boldly take those risks and hunger for that information, that knowledge that lies out there. And it's exciting. I mean, we're making these discoveries. We landed some, a human being on the moon 47 years ago. 47 years from now, what are we going to be doing? We're already circling Jupiter. We've already explored Mars. More knowledge, you know, stimulates more curiosity. That's a great human adventure. We are curious creatures. It's phenomenal what NASA is doing with science that is, when you look at it, is the equal of uh, science fiction. In that video, William Shatner spoke about NASA's New Horizon mission to Pluto and the Kipier Belt. The Kipier Belt, for those who don't know, is the asteroid belt that's just outside of Pluto. We don't know much about what's out there because we can't really see it except for with a very high-powered telescope. The New Horizons mission was launched on January 19, 2006. 
It has since conducted a six-month-long six reconnaissance mission studying Jupiter and its moons during the summer of 2015. And that culminated in the closest approach that any scientific instrument that we have has ever done close to Pluto. And that was on July 14th, 2015. My birthday, such a cool birthday present from NASA to see photos of Pluto. I was so excited. So Sorry, is Pluto a planet, Doc, there. or is that a topic for another show? No, we're about to talk Pluto. So here we go. How many of us have grown up that Pluto was a planet? I did. I even still remember from my third grade a mnemonic to help me remember the order of the planets. Can you name all of the planets, Jesse? Not really, Doc. I could <laughs> do a few, but yeah, uh, not likely. I mean, okay. Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, Uranus, Pluto, but Pluto's in debate, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. You lost me. Okay. The mnemonic I was taught when I was in third grade to remember the order of the planets was my very eager mother just served us nine pickles. The order of the planets. And I'm going to include Pluto for the moment because we will come to this very, very shortly. Was Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Cool mnemonic to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. In 2006, the International Astronomical Union met and decided to classify what is really a planet. Now, I'm going to read this out. As it's released from the IAU, the International Astronomical Union, yes, I'm going to get very scientific terminology for the moment, but we will come to this one point after another and explain what this means. Okay. A planet is a celestial body that A, is in orbit around the sun, B, has sufficient mass for its self-gravity to overcome rigid body forces so that it assumes hydrostatic equilibrium near round shape, and C, has cleared its neighborhood around its orbit. Yeah, that's a bit confusing, isn't it? You Just lost me, Doc. Okay, so we'll come to this point by point. A planet, point one, is in orbit around the sun. I think that one is pretty much self-explanatory. I don't think we really need to go into the detail on that one. Yeah, I kind of got that one. But the rest of them? Okay. Point Ooh. B, has sufficient mass for its gravitation and for its self-gravity to overcome rigid body forces so that it's assumed hydrostatic equilibrium near round shape. Oh, so many terms, so many big terms. Why can't we just use common everyday language? Right, here's what it means. It's round, it's a sphere, that's all. That's what it means. They had to use that many words just to tell me a planet has to be round, Doc? Yes, they did. Why exactly they chose to do that, I don't know, but it's round. I think the reason why they chose to use such complicated things is because if you are below a certain size, then you are not going to have a round shape. You're going to have something that's a little bit 
I don't know, deformed. Okay, so you could have a you could have one end that's more ovally and the other end that's kind of round. Yeah, and it can have a bit of a dimple and all these other bits and pieces. Yeah. So there's a few bits and pieces there. They call that hydrostatic equilibrium. Nice simple way of understanding is that it's just round. It's a sphere or close to it. It doesn't need to be perfect because let's face it, the earth is not a perfect sphere. We're a bit of an egg shape. We're a bit funny looking. We've got water. Of course, we're going to be funny looking because the water as we're spinning is going to do some funny shaped bits and pieces. But we're nearly round and that's the point. Okay. So, do we understand point one and point two now? I think I get it, Doc. It, okay. It has to orbit the sun, and it has to be more or less round. More or less round. Okay. Point three. Here we go. Point three. It has cleared the neighborhood around its orbit. Okay. First of all, I didn't know planets had neighborhoods. And second of all, what do they mean? Bad guys living in the neighborhoods? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Right. Clearing its neighborhood, and I will go through and explain again. I'm going to, here we go, big terms. A celestial body has cleared its neighborhood if it has become gravitationally dominant, and there are no other bodies of comparable size other than its satellites and those otherwise under its gravitational influence. The translation, there are no other objects that share its orbit around the sun. Well, does that there. include moons? Or is that what they mean no. by satellites? But see, this is the thing. A moon is actually a satellite. Okay, so they don't mean a, a satellite in terms of the thing we use for get television and cell phone and all that. They mean no. satellite as in natural-made, roundish kind of thing, like our moon. Yeah. See, the thing is, is the moon doesn't orbit the sun. The moon orbits the Earth. So no matter what we do, the moon was never going to be considered a planet because we're the ones orbiting the sun, not the moon. What that is saying is that there is no other celestial bodies that are sharing our orbit around the sun. Consider the asteroid belts. There are lots of little bodies out there that are sharing the orbits around the sun. They don't, some of them might orbit around each other, but for the most part, you have these rocks that are in the same path around the sun. So that's basically what it's meaning about clearing its neighborhood. So an asteroid belt is a whole bunch of little space rocks that just kind of hang out in the same place and circle around each other and crash, bang, boom, and all kinds of other things, right? Yep. And they orbit the sun along the same path. So they do orbit I the sun. That those those orbit the sun, yes, but not the moons. The moons orbit us or orbit the planets or the other celestial bodies that they're going around. So I know it's so confusing. It can get very confusing very quickly, and I know. All right, so our moon in space terms is considered a satellite. Yes. And Earth only has one satellite, i.e. the moon. Yes. But there are planets that have lots and lots and lots of satellites or lots and lots of moons. Exactly. There are. In fact, Jupiter has got, I think the last count was near on over a hundred different moons. It's a hundred? How does a planet manage a hundred moons? Not that there's much to manage, but Jiminy Cricket. (laughs) It's a lot of moons, but it's also a big planet. 
So that makes sense. Saying that, though, Pluto has got four moons, but we only know that because of the New Horizons mission that NASA has sent out. Until, until we had that New Horizons mission and the six-month reconnaissance around Pluto, we had no idea that Pluto had more than just the one moon. So you're saying we can't see those four moons from a telescope here on the Earth? No, we can't. Can we even see Pluto? So I can't set up... We can see Pluto, but it looks like a fuzzy dot. So I could All set the up a telescope that we have in my backyard now, and look at Pluto. You would have to use a very... I would say probably something along the lines of, I don't know, half a meter size diameter telescope to possibly see it. So it's probably bigger than what most people have in their garage to go look at the, at the moon and look at the stars. I would say so, yeah. Unless you're a space nut like you. Who knows what you have <laughs> in your garage? I wish I had one of those in my garage, but no, I don't. <laughs> But you've got the observatory down the street around the corner. That's true. I got that. So that's fine. (laughs) Okay. So Pluto hasn't cleared its neighborhood. Now, this is the reason why. There's a few things going on with Pluto. We have orbital planes that we call the ecliptic. So if we were to look at the orbits of the planets, all of the planets are orbiting the sun roughly in a circular orbit and along the same plane. So if we, watch, if we watch the sun go across the sky, it always goes across the sky at roughly the same angle. The planets follow that same angle, and that's what we call the ecliptic. Okay, so Pluto... Because the sun goes at approximately the same angle, that's how come they used to use sundials to tell time. Yes, that is exactly it. Okay. So, but the issue that we've got with Pluto is that Pluto is going at an angle that is 17 degrees to that plane or to the ecliptic. So it's not in the same angle. Not only that, it's not a circular orbit. It's an elliptical orbit where one end of the orbit is heavily influenced by Neptune's orbit. So Pluto is being influenced by another body. It's not on its own. Okay, so Not what you're saying, that. let me see if I've got this right. Eight of the, quote, nine planets, which we, I know, we were discussing whether Pluto's a planet or not, but eight of the nine bodies out there all line up in formation. Pluto's a little off, off, off center. Yes. Okay, got that. Now, you're saying that most of the planets have more or less a circular orbit. Yes. And Pluto doesn't. So what is Pluto's? Star-shaped? No, Pluto's is more oval-shaped. So it's more egg-shaped. Yeah, probably a bit more egg-shaped, but a squished egg. But it is definitely that elliptical orbit. So it's oval-shaped. So Pluto's orbit is not only out of whack with everything else, it's oval instead of round. So Pluto didn't fall into formation like it should have, and it has an oval orbit. Mm-hmm. Am I getting all this, Doc? You were getting this. Now we're going to add to the next thing with that oval orbit. One end of its orbit is influenced by Neptune. That's a no-no, right? It is. That's a no-no. That is against the cleared its neighborhood. Then let's add to the next thing to it. 
Remember, New Horizons has been sent out to Pluto and the Kipier Belt to explore the Kipier Belt and, of course, Pluto. Well, guess what? They have discovered asteroids, part of the Kipier Belt, and other celestial bodies that are sharing the orbit of Pluto around the sun. Okay, so let me get this straight. Pluto has an oval-shaped orbit. It's influenced by Neptune. Am I right so far? Yes. Which is one strike against it. And then there's these other asteroids that follow the same oval, but Pluto hasn't, because Pluto's influenced by Neptune, it hasn't been able to smash into them and say, bye, get out of my zone. I would say that's probably it, yeah. So, because it hasn't cleared its neighborhood, it can't be called a planet. So what the instant... So what the in, so what the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, have done back in 2006, they created a new classification called dwarf planet. Dwarf planet. When they did this, little planet. Mm-hmm. When they did this, they defined a dwarf planet as something that orbits the sun, something that has sufficient mass for hydrostatic equilibrium. Remember I said that means it's round. Something that hasn't cleared its neighborhood. They also added another criteria. Something that isn't a satellite. Okay, so our moon could never be classified as a dwarf planet because it is a satellite. Exactly. But because Pluto isn't a satellite because it does, even though it's out of formation, orbit the sun. Mm -hmm. It hasn't kicked everybody else out of its path. So as a consequence, it has it's included its neighborhood. A dwarf, and because of it, it's being called a dwarf planet. Now, I've had a few conversations with various different children over the years. My own children are among the first of the generations that were being taught that Pluto is a dwarf planet. And it was quite scary to hear my own daughter turn around and say to me not long ago, that Pluto was a dwarf planet because it was small. My heart sort of sunk. Well, is it size part of it? Well, yes and no. But let me carry on. About two weeks ago, I was talking to my nephew. Beautiful, sweet little boy. Hi, Jordan, if you're listening. He came home from school all excited about everything that he was learning. And he knew his mother's told, told him that I did astronomy. So he was telling me everything that he's been learning. And he was so excited. Auntie Judy, Auntie Judy, Pluto is a dwarf planet because of its size. Oh, I just went so quiet and so horrible because... I couldn't let a five-year-old continue to think that Pluto's been called a dwarf planet because of its size. I had to correct him, and I had to explain it. And I think I got there. I'm not 100% sure, and I hope I did, but we'll find out. But I was also talking to my son about the same thing. My son is a what could be considered a freshman in high school. And he, in his class, the number of people in his class that believe Pluto is a dwarf planet because of its size, he himself was flabbergasted. He couldn't, he didn't understand it. 
And I think what's happened is it's the word dwarf. Let's face it. Dwarf does mean small. Yeah. Unless, of course, you are using fantasy and then you're talking about small little men with beards. But it still has the same connotation of small, whether you're talking dwarf in a role-playing game or dwarf as in little. Exactly. And I think that's the issue. The thing is, is the way the IAU has defined what a dwarf planet is, in theory, you could have a dwarf planet that is the size of Jupiter, which is not small. That's big. How big is what? Jupiter? I, I mean, is it like remember. four times Why the size of the ask Earth? Me things like that. <laughs> but it's a lot bigger than Earth. Oh, significantly so. I mean, dwarf. The the red spot that's on Jupiter, which is the 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 storm, Earth fits in that. Okay, <laughs> that gives you an idea of its size. So it's, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. The reason why we could have dwarf planets that are Jupiter size, what could have happened is you could have had two planets that were almost the same size that formed, but on opposite sides of the sun at exactly the same distance from the sun. And as a consequence, they would have been rotating and orbiting the sun at the same rate and never collide into one another. Because they haven't cleared their neighborhood, because they are sharing their orbit with some other celestial body of comparable size, they would be a dwarf planet. But they wouldn't be small. They would be big. And I think it's actually the term dwarf planet that's caused this problem. Now, we did go through, and you did ask me before, about surely the size of Pluto is playing a little bit of a role. Well... Yes, it is. This is the ironic thing. Yeah, because Neptune's yanking if, on it. Mm-hmm. If Pluto had just been just a little bit bigger, it probably would have been able to knock all of those asteroids that are sharing its orbit out of the way. It probably wouldn't be as influenced by Neptune as it is. So it probably would have cleared its neighborhood. But exactly how much it would have cleared its neighborhood, I don't know. And I can't say. Now, let's come to some of the other things about Pluto that are just a little bit hinky. One, one quick question, Doc, before we go hinky. What do you think we should call Pluto if not dwarf planet? My son had the perfect suggestion on that one. His suggestion was pseudo planet because pseudo means fake. That could work, and it doesn't indicate small. It doesn't indicate small. It just means that it doesn't quite fit the criteria of planet. And so pseudoplanet would be a much better term. And we would get rid of this misunderstanding about the size of a planet. Maybe you should write the International Astronomical Union or whoever they are, the IAU, and <laughs> say, hey, guys, change the name. Here's the new one. It's better. <laughs> you got a PhD. They actually might listen to you. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Okay, for Pluto, one of the other things that some people I can imagine now going, hang on, they're going to look up all these different images up on the internet that you can get. And if you are looking at the orbits of the planets, like say you were looking at it from a godlike state, and you're looking down on those orbits, a two-dimensional projection of those orbits will actually have... Pluto crossing the orbit 
of Neptune. The thing is, is because there is that angle of 17 degrees, Pluto and Neptune are never going to crash into each other. Okay, so because Pluto is slightly out of formation, it's never going to go smash into Neptune and get destroyed. Never. The closest Pluto will ever come to Neptune is a distance of what we call 18 astronomical uh, units. One astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the Sun. So the closest that Pluto ever gets is 18 times the distance that Pluto, that um, the Earth, is to the Sun. Okay, so it's still pretty far away, even though it looks close if you're looking at the 2D version. It looks close if you're looking at the 2D version, but it's still a significant difference. That sort of distance is the same distance that the Earth has to Uranus. And let's face it, the Earth is never going to crash into Uranus. No, but there's lots of jokes that can be made about that one. Oh, yeah. There is definitely lots of jokes. But we probably have children listening, so we are not going to go down that road. No, but I had to mention, just maybe I can spur their imaginations in the joke realm. Hey, I gotta sneak in a joke every once in a while, Doc. Yeah, you do. You're allowed. Okay, so we now understand why Pluto is considered a dwarf planet. We now understand what a dwarf planet is, and hopefully we now understand what a planet is. There are currently only five bodies in our solar system that the IAU accept as a dwarf planet. Wait a minute. We have five of these things? I thought we only had one. We have five. We do. We've got five. The closest one to us is actually Cirrus. Cirrus is inside the asteroid belt that is between Mars and Jupiter. So that's the closest one. The next one out is Pluto. Then we have, in the Kipir belt, we have two of them. We have Humea and Makemake. These are Hawaiian names, and they were named, given these Hawaiian names because they were discovered by the observatories that are on Mount Manakea. I was just about to ask, how do these things get their names? Because good grief, sometimes they have some pretty freaky names. They do. Sometimes they're a funky designation. They might have like a K-12 or some other designation. In general, the rules are that the astronomer who finds the bodies gets to decide how they're actually named and recognized. And that, so that's how we get this Humea and Makimake. So those are in the Kipya belt. And then we also have another one, which is a bit further out, Eris. We must be getting Eris. pretty far out now. Mm. Eris is at twice the distance from the sun that Pluto is. Whoa, no chance seeing that one on the telescope at home. Definitely no chance. In fact, the only reason why we even know it exists is because they were taking a variety of different images of the Kipir belt and the asteroid belts that are a bit further out. And they, over a course of time, would see a couple of the bodies moving. You would have these images. You took one at one date, you took one at another date, and another one at another date, and you can see. You compare all the bodies and all the bits and pieces, all the dots that you see there, and you actually can trace one moving. And that's how we found it. Okay, so we don't even have any good pictures of this one. This one was done by math. Yeah, 
That one was done by math. Isn't that how some of the planets were originally found anyway, was math? Exactly. Basically, planet, the word planet means wandering star. So what happened is you had the ancient astronomers. They were watching the skies, and they would draw them out, bits and pieces. But over time, they would see a star moving in a way that it shouldn't be moving. It was wandering across the skies. And so that's how we discovered some of these planets. Since then, we know that they're not stars at all. What they are is either gaseous, gaseous bodies or rock formations, which are reflecting the light coming from our sun. But to an ancient astronomer, they wouldn't have known that. They wouldn't have been able to explore that far out. So they wouldn't no. have had a clue. No, they wouldn't have had any clue. I'm just picturing this guy lying on his back looking up on the side of, from the side of a hill. <laughs> I think they did that a lot. They drew a lot of amazing drawings, and I know I certainly would never have been able to do that. So I have a lot of respect for some of these ancient astronomers. They did brilliantly. Fantastic. Right. Is there anything else that we need to understand about Pluto and why it's a dwarf planet? All right. So Pluto's a dwarf or, like your son says, pseudo planet. Not because it's small, but because Neptune influences its orbit and... There's other stuff in the same orbit as Pluto, even though it's not Neptune. Yes. All right. Even though the size in some way impacts it, just because if it had been a little bit bigger, it might actually be a full-sized, full-fledged planet, not a pseudo-planet. I like that term better, Doc. So do I. <laughs> like I said, you should write to them. They may take you seriously. I don't think they'd listen to me. <laughs> but for the moment, we have to use the terminology that they've given us, which is dwarf planet. I think I get it. I think I get it. I still don't understand why they have to use such complicated terms to say, it's round! No, I don't think we'll ever understand that one. But hey, at least the astronomers are a little bit more down-to-earth when it comes to explaining some of their terminology. For example, it orbits the sun. How simple can we get? Yeah, yeah. But their definition of round just sent me for a loop-to-loop. <laughs> Well, nice and simple. We've got that one sorted. Brilliant. So if anybody has any questions about Pluto or the New Horizons mission, feel free to contact us at Conversations at Science. So what is our email address, Jesse? I can't remember it. It's science at klrnradio.com. Although they can also hit you up on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Judy L. Moore. Or you can contact me through Facebook. I've got my own Facebook page, Judy L. Moore. And, of course, I've got my own website where information about what we talked today is going to go up onto the blog, and that's found at judylmoore.com. So yeah. here's hoping that you found whatever information we had today useful, and you can actually hopefully enlighten your own children about what a dwarf planet is, so if your five-year-old comes to you and says, Pluto's dwarf planet because it's small. <sighs> Sorry, Jordan. No, it's not. <sighs> but that's okay. We get there. Until next time. Did you hear the yeah? big news? Oh, what news? Tell me, tell me, tell me, Jess. Tell me what's Your the news. show is now available for download on iTunes. <gasps> I'm on iTunes? Oh, that's awesome. Yes, that Conversations so in cool. Science Woo! is under the podcast section. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> I'm on iTunes. I'm on iTunes. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.
Bye, Doc. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. 